Welcome to the Millennium Beat Podcast, where we like to encourage the world one story at a time. Now get ready to hear stories from around the world that encourage and uplift you. Now to the show with your host, Kevin James. Hey everybody, you've reached the right place. This is the Millennium Beat. I'm your host, Kevin James. Today I'm going to be doing an interview and he's going to tell a story of his life where he started in California and he ended up in Colorado dealing with drugs both of his life. So, let's get to the interview that I did a couple days ago with Coach Paul. Coach Paul, thanks for joining us today. Hey, what's going on, Kevin? Uh, glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's an honor, and so I just I, I can't wait to get into this conversation with you, man. Paul, you are originally from California. Tell us about that, your, your birth and stuff like that. We'll start from the very beginning. Absolutely. So, you know, raised in, in San Jose, California, which is Silicon Valley, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the early seventies, I was born in 72. So, you know, it wasn't as, uh, saturated as it okay. is now. Um, but it was, you know, just your typical life, but also, um, in those neighborhoods, in this place, um, there was a whole lot of, um, you know, you had your gang violence, you had your, you know, your cruise in, uh, San Jose is known for low riders. And so that's where it all originated from. Um, and so it was just this vibe that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that, um, was raised in, you know, by my stepfather, never, never knew my own real biological father. Okay. And so, um, was raised by my stepdad. And the crazy part about it is the first six, seven years of, of our life with him, everything was good. Mm-hmm. Good father taught us how to work, taught us how to fish, taught us how to, you know, do everything, work on cars, all that good stuff. Right. And then along the way, we became, which is pretty crazy, we became Jehovah Witnesses. And oh, wow. so, yeah, through <laughs> through that, um, you know, that's how I was introduced to church, um, you know, Kingdom Hall, all that living and knocking door to door and doing all the stuff that we felt, you know, that we were taught to do. Right. And so through that, um, there was like this light switch that happened in his life. Uh, later on, as we grew older and found out after, you know, he went to prison and everything, um, that there were some psychological things that were going on in his life as a child and they were just pretty much resurfaced. Right. And so through that, um, you know, I was eight or nine years old. And like I said, the light bulb moment, you know, that light switch came on where it was this totally different man. Mm -hmm. And so raised from there on in a very dysfunctional home, um, you know, my stepdad uh, molested my sister for four years straight uh, from 14, 13 or 14 to 17 years old. Uh, very abusive towards my mom, uh, very abusive towards me. And so what would that do to children? I have an older brother, except my older brother was never treated like me and my sister were um, for whatever reason. Um, I found out later down the line that the reason he didn't like me as much as he liked my brothers because I looked like my real dad. And so it was this anger, this hate, this manipulation, all this stuff going on in the home, moms being abused. And then they had two kids, you know, together. Mm -hmm. Um, So through all of that, um, the anger just stayed in me and it was this thing that kept rising. So I, in turn, throughout life, abused my younger brothers, you know, really bad Um, things that I'm not proud of, um, you know, but it, it. It just, it was that atmosphere. And so it was something that was acceptable. Well, through that time that hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. 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 So you're, 
you know, the way those things come upon people is things that you see, things that you learn, uh, those curses that are placed upon you. Um, and so it was just this lifestyle that we just, I just thought it was what we were supposed to do. And, uh, so through that, then my sister spoke up and said, Hey, this and this is going on. Uh, one of my aunts, you know, rest in peace. She was the one that came and pretty much like saved us as kids and got her out of the house. Um, and then that's where the journey began of sending him to prison, finally confronting those things. And then from there, um, we moved to, to Washington state. That's where my mom's family was from. So we went, you know, there just to get away from California, get away from everything and start this whole new life. Um, I think more so she was more afraid that when he got out, he'd come and look for us. Right. You know, so we didn't know how many years he was going to get. They had told us that he was going to get like 10 years. I think he got like four to five years and he was out. Um, and so we were in Washington state and then, um, we ended up in a small town and I met some very good friends of mine, you know, that I'm still friends with till this day, but I was always the middle child. Right. And so I was like the mediator. It was my older brother and my older sister and then my two younger brothers. So it was this place in, in, in my life. And those who are middle children can understand this. We're the mediators. We're the ones who are pretty much like taking care of both sides because right. we're on both sides of, of the age group. And so, you know, I was trying to figure myself out. Um, and at that point, my sister had already, you know, stayed in California, found a boyfriend. She was fine. My older brother, uh, wanted to go back to California and I'm stuck in Washington state with my two younger brothers. Okay. So we're in this small town. Uh, mom is really, in this dysfunctional place. So she's trying to figure things out. Um, and so it was me alone and I found this group of friends that took me in as family. And so just built this great bond, this great relationship. Well, through that, you know, my mom had, you know, discovered crack cocaine, um, just some crazy stuff, just dope, you know, just the whole game. And so it, it, you know, came to the point where, um, she said, Hey, you know, here's a bus ticket. Go back to California. Uh, go live with your sister, your brother, whoever is out there. Um, I'm sure that they'll take care of you. And you how um, old at that time? I was 15, 15 years old. It was a bus ticket. And yeah. so uh, you know, it was it was th- those were the days where, you know, I don't I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of, you know, the, uh, the old school gangster rap, but that's when NWA Easy E, all these guys had just came out. They were just just fresh off the street. And so it was this whole gangster rap vibe, this lifestyle Mm -hmm. that was being promoted that just catapulted me back to California. And that's where that lifestyle began. And so through that, it was, um, you know, going back to California, left my mom, left my two younger brothers. um, And I was 15 years old. Um, and just started, started smoking weed heavily, um, got into the game, um, being around my older brother, all of his friends, all of his homeboys from the street. I mean, they were, you know, not to get into too much detail, but it was, it was big time. And so was able to have that, uh, those connections have that pretty much that covering that protection. Um, and soon just got into that whole lifestyle to where by 16, 17 years old, um, going to high school, 
my student counselor just called me in the office one day and just said, hey, you know, why don't you just drop out? Because all you're doing is coming to school to to sell dope. Uh, and so at 17 years old, you're going, okay, I have no hope. If my student counselors tell me to go, then why do I need school? Right. And so, um, so through that, just got into the game, got into it hard. And so I was 15, 16 years old. And by the time I was 21, 22, um, started, you know, moving big weight, moving stuff that was, it was just, it was the lifestyle. It was just, just the way that we lived thousands and thousands of dollars and just, you know, just that whole crazy lifestyle. And as I'm looking back, you know, looking at the whole thing of the running, um, I believed in God, but I really didn't embrace it because of the whole Jehovah Witness religion. Um, we were taught that we could never have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was just part of, you know, we just pretty much lived law, legalism, all that, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so I didn't really know who God was. Right. But I always knew that I was protected because there was a lot of things that I would do and I would get involved in that uh, I was always protected. I always felt like there was an angel by my side. I always knew that there was something covering me. Mm-hmm. And so through all of these moments, um, there was this one time where I had this this huge deal that I had to go, uh, that I had to go take care of. I didn't feel right about it, but I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And long story short, in that situation, I was able to um, hide away from the cops, get away from them, store all my dope. And from that moment forward, something happened in the atmosphere that caused this spiral of events to happen because that still wasn't my wake up call. So I just kept hustling, kept doing what I was doing. And then soon came right about 94, 95, maybe 96 is when I started dabbling into methamphetamines because I had gotten in into a whole different game. It wasn't just marijuana anymore. It was it was the uppers. Um, And so dealt a lot of weight, pushed a lot of weight, did what I had to do. And then I started using and it didn't grab me right away. It took about three months. And by the time I knew it, I was in a whole different circle. I was addicted to meth. Um, that was a six year event of just being hooked to methamphetamines, just couldn't stop. And one day I'm sitting in, in my sister's townhouse and she had, that was her, her second marriage. Um, and I, I was up for, I think like seven or eight days straight. And I'm literally looking in the mirror and I just see Satan in the mirror. And I'm like, at that moment, I just knew like, man, there's, there's no way that I'm going to be able to survive here in California. Cause I just know too many people, too many people know me. I'm I'm connected with somebody who knows somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's where I believe part of my journey began was I was tired of being tired, but I was also angry. I was bitter. I wasn't going to turn to God. I tried to fix myself. I didn't believe in recovery. I didn't believe in rehab. I didn't believe in that stuff. My whole thing was, if you want to quit, you're just going to quit. Right. And so the only way <clears throat> that I found that I could quit was leaving. And so I found this job in the newspaper um, and it was selling cleaner, spray cleaner. You know, that, you know, those guys that walk around with a spray bottle and a towel mm-hmm. uh, going door to door. And so I took the job. Um, the ad said, you know, work daily, get 
pay daily, uh, right. no bills, no rent, no nothing, uh, travel the country for free. Okay. And uh, I said, well, shoot, this is me. I'm out of here. And so I jumped on this crew for a whole year, um, was on crew, got sober, um, and started finding myself. Okay. Like, okay, who, who am I? Like, who is this guy? I know what the streets define me as. I know what I thought I had to live by, but who am I? And I, I, I started to, to, to see who I was. Um, ended up in Ohio in a little town called New Philadelphia. It's like a speck on the map. It's a yeah. small little town, which was perfect for me okay. because I'm like, you know what? I can get away from California, never going back, um, and just be me and right. just figure out who I am. And so along the way, I started doing good, got a good job in the telemarketing. I mean, just blew that out of the water because we had done sales for a whole year door to door. So it was cold, right. cold knocking, you know, school of hard knocks. Um, and so I just did very well for myself and got to a place where now the arrogance was still there. Yeah. The pride was still there. And so it was in a, I was in this place of um, adultery with this younger girl. I was 31, 30. 31 and she was 20, 21 and was married, um, you know, committed adultery with her. And when she got convicted, she was a Christian. She says, Hey, you know, this is wrong. Um, I can't do this no more. Right. And when I said, I said it this way, well, this is God's will. Cause if it wasn't, you wouldn't be here. And that's where my whole world within 24 hours flipped upside down oh, wow. to where it was. I literally felt God saying, you're, you're not going to, touch my children. You know what I'm saying? And so this whole spiral of events for about a year, I mean, I lost my apartment. I lost all my furniture. I lost everything. I had a job, but I was just broke, busted, and disgusted. I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't get better. I was in bar fights. I was fighting with Pete, just, just in this place of just total destruction. Right. And so it was one day, um, that I ended up staying in a rat infested trailer with another buddy of mine, him and his family. And I tell you, man, there was this one Saturday morning that I just prayed. I said, God, I don't know who you are. I really don't know who you are, but if you just give me a job that I get more hours, cause I got to get out of this mess. Right. I will serve you the best way that you see fit. And with, I go to work that day. Um, and I'm working at this welding shop and this guy walks in this older gentleman. Um, and you know, fast forward, he's the one that led me to the Lord. But in, in that moment, we just kept staring at each other. And I'm like, why does this guy keep staring at me? Mm -hmm. And so I'm working on his forklift and he's trying to tell me how to do my job. And I was very arrogant back there. And oh, I just yeah. kind of snapped at him and, uh, you know, come to find out my, my supervisor at at my workplace knew that I was looking for other work. And he said, Hey, Oliver's hiring. And I said, who's Oliver? He said, the guy that you just, you know, worked on his, uh, uh, forklift. I said, all right, well, where's his, where's his place of business, blah, blah, blah. It was right up the street. So I went in, he sees me. We just got into this conversation. I asked him, Hey man, I know you're looking for workers. Um, I'm here for a job. So we talked for about two or three hours. Okay. We finally got to a point where he's like, what are you in here for again? I said, I need a job. And so fast forward about a week later, I'm hired on. And 
I'm still kind of going through this this motion. I'm still smoking a little bit of weed. I'm still going to the clubs. I'm still kind of just dabbling. Right. And then all of a sudden, close to Easter time is when now that I look back and you know think about it, it was God, you know, tapping my shoulder saying, hey, you made me a promise. Right. And uh, I want that promise. And so through that, me and my boss, we just got into this heated argument. It was to a point where almost he almost had to fire me and just let me go. Right. So he invited me to this men's fellowship um, for Easter, Easter bre- uh, breakfast. Okay. Um, so I go and I feel something and I'm like, you know, there's something, there's something kind of cool about this. Um, it wasn't my vibe, mm-hmm. you know, I was 31, 32 years old, um, you know, sitting there with some 60, 70 year old men. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, to me, I'm like, why do I feel a certain way towards these men that I'm accepting them and they're accepting me? Right. And so that Sunday I walk into church and I never stop. I never stopped going. And uh, so within about a year into it, that was about 2004. Come January 9th, 2005, that's the whole year that I was going to church, but I wasn't saved. I never knew what a sinner's prayer was. I never knew what an altar call was. I'd, I'd see people go up and right. I'd go up to pray, but I never knew what it was. I, I, I just never knew what the meaning was. I wasn't discipled right. in a very spiritual way. I didn't understand those concepts. And so one day I'm I'm like just, just beat up, man, spiritually, like had a good job, had an apartment on the lake, had a new car. I was a supervisor at that job. I had my own company phone, just, you know, credit cards from the business, just the whole, just taken care of. Mm-hmm. But the inside was still this huge mess. Right. I was still abandoned. I was still rejected. I was still angry. I was just all of that, just all in one, this big, huge Tasmanian devil on the inside. Right. And I just, I just prayed. I said, Lord, I don't know where you're at. I don't know who you are. I said, but if you, I just, I, I just need something like, I don't, I can't carry all of this burden anymore. I don't even know what I'm carrying, but what I'm carrying, I don't like it. And I said, and you need to shake me loose of all these chains. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I get in my car it's Sunday morning, I'm driving to church and I'm just bawling and just, you know, the Holy spirit was already starting to consecrate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I get there and, um, a friend of mine that is now one of my best friends, she was battling cancer at the time. Okay. Um, and she was pretty much at a place where she was already out the door. The doctors had already told the family, Hey, you know, you just need to make arrangements, this and that. Well, a few days prior to that day, the Holy spirit prompted her to sing a song by, I, I forget her, her name, but I think it's Wayans weighing or, or whatever, shake yourself loose. And so I walk into the church and the same prayer that I prayed, God, you need to shake me loose of these chains was the exact lyrics of the song. And so I'm, I'm walking in and all I see is the altar Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how to receive God. I didn't know anything. All I did was kept walking and so, I, you know, this is a, a straight Pentecostal church, right. very charismatic. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, even that whole year, I'm like, I don't even know why I'm coming here. This is just, to me, it was this carnival, you know? Right. And I just felt God saying, don't focus on them. You just keep going to that altar. 
But I literally saw the hand of God move through that church. People are falling out without people laying hands on anyone. Wow. People are just slain in the spirit. This this whole move of God, it was power. And I see this girl singing and I just go down and I start weeping. I mean, I'm just broken and just just lifting my hands to to God. And, and um, it was about 35, 45 minutes. There was no church service. It was a total healing service. Wow. Um, nothing scheduled. It was, it just happened. happened. And so when I finally turn around, the same man that we were in this heated season of our life was the same man that was holding my hands up as I'm worshiping God. There was no pastor around me. There was no elders around me. It was him. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? He's the real deal. This is the real deal. This is what Christianity is about. It's about community. It's about that. So, you know, released after that, me and him just became like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, he was diabetic, you know, 70 something years old. I think he was about 70. And just, they just embraced me even prior to that as family. And so through that, man, it was like, I still, I was, I was delivered, but I wasn't totally set free because right. there was still a lot of stuff in me. I was doing church. I was doing all of that. So then comes the second layer of what I call my freedom journey to where it was now I was like, okay, now I'm established. I know who God is. I know what church is about, but there's something that I feel God has called me to do something personal, something that is out of the norm. And so fast forward, I, I moved to Texas the first time, but there was something in me that I knew I had to get burned out. So I literally intentionally went back to California to backslide because nothing was really working. I knew Christ, I knew God, but it wasn't, nothing was clicking. So I went back to California and this is how people will understand and know that you're saved and that you're called when the world don't even want you no more. <laughs> when the world doesn't even want you no more, because I was sitting there for a year and a half and I was starting to smoke weed all over again. And one of my best friends was like, Paul, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing here? This is my weed and you're smoking my weed. <laughs> like, why are you, why are you even asking me this? He said, no, man, what are you doing here? He said, look around you, man. This ain't you no more. You don't even fit. Right. Why don't you just go back wherever you came from and go do exactly what God called you to do? And I mean, this guy is smoking, like right. we're partying. And I'm sitting there going, what? Uh. And within a week's time, so much calamity happened. I got into it with my younger brother. I mean, it was heated. It was almost deathly, like very satanic. Um, and the same friend that was singing that song was now delivered from cancer. She had um, two kids. She was married. Just this, this phenomenal story. She actually calls me one Sunday. And I ignored the call. And I'm like, I'm not answering this call. So I said, you know what? I don't run from anybody. So I called her back and I said, hey, how's it going? And she just stayed quiet. She said, how are you? And I said, I'm good. She's like, okay. And I said, you know what? I'm not good. I'm really not good. I said, all I need you to do is just pray for me. She's like, what's going on? I said, nothing. I said, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on and I'm only handling it the way that I know how to handle it. She said, why don't you come home? And I said, there is no home for me. I said, have you ever wanted to buy a brand new house? 
She's like, yeah, it's like everything is just brand new sheetrock, still smells the paint, all of that. Because I had already started my own business. I was remodeling. So I, I just always took everything back to a house foundation, all right. that good stuff. She says, sure. I said, would you move your old dirty furniture into that house? She said, probably not. I said, I'm that old dirty furniture. I can't go back to church. I just, I can't do it. And she's like, listen, I'm going to pray. She's like, but just come home. There's a lot of people here that love you. You've got family here. Just come home. And I said, I'll think about it. Within three days, she called me again and said, listen, there's a plane ticket waiting for you. All you got to do is jump on the plane. Kevin, I had a whole cul-de-sac full of work. I had probably half a million dollars worth of work waiting for me. You got there. I had a truck. I had everything in California, all that business that I had. And I'm like, you know what? I got to leave this all behind right? because this money isn't doing anything for me. I literally sold all my stuff, gave all my work to a buddy of mine for 300 bucks. Wow. I said, all I need is $300, man. But you can have all this work. Everything that's here is yours. I just got to get out of here. <clears throat> so I jump on a plane. I head to Ohio. And the minute that I stepped foot on Cleveland soil, I said, Lord, if you're real, I need you to show yourself like Abraham knew you, like Moses knew you, like Jesus knew you, like the people that knew Jesus. Because if you can't provide that, I'm getting back on this plane and I'm going back. Because prior to that, I got this phone call from some old homeboys that I hadn't connected with. And they said, are you ready to get back to work? And that meant getting back to work. And that's when I said, no, there's got to be some kind of shift. So that's where all of that happened. Um, so in that moment, I'm, I'm standing in Cleveland airport and I said, you've got to make yourself real. Cause if you're not, then I'm going back to that life. Right. Because I don't want to play church no more. I want real encounter. And from that day forward, that was Halloween of 2009. That whole year, all through 2010, mm -hmm. the place that I stayed, they say, you don't have to worry about rent. You don't have to worry about anything. Just make enough money for yourself to take care of yourself, but spend time with God, get to know God on a whole new level. And that's where my ministry set free came from. Didn't even know it was in the works, <clears throat> but I was confronting myself. I was confronting my past. I was confronting my stepdad because I was, we all hear that expression. It's under the blood. Mm -hmm. It's under the blood. I didn't understand the blood. I didn't understand what that even meant. Okay. It's under the blood, but how do I deal with all this junk? Mm -hmm. Like I get it that you're saying, just give it to Jesus, but no, I still have to function in this mess. And that's when the Lord started showing me, I want you to open this door to your past. And I said, I don't want to open that door. He said, you're going to have to, because if you don't, you're never going to be free. Right. There's things that I do, but there's things that you need to do. You need to go to the core of why you're this mess. And I start opening doors to my stepfather, to the streets, to everything. And it was this whole year, man, of just straight purification. To where it was literally, I was going through this season of my of my body literally felt hot. 
because I was going through the purification, through the fire, through the crucible, wow. through all of that with God. And I was about to give up. And I heard this very gently in that season. Why are you going to, why are you going to give up? You're in the middle of the fire. If you go backwards, it's the same distance than getting to the end of this fire. So just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And so through that, that's where I didn't even know this ministry was going to birth. So 2011 shows up. I'm sitting there working for a friend of mine that she had like two or three game rooms, a casino. She was very well off, but she was paying me and I was working on on her property and paying cash and all that. And so I'm I'm in this place where I'm like, you know what? I, I, I'm I'm happy, but I don't have any family. I don't have any family here. Everyone's either in Texas or in California. Well, that day I was fasting for three days. My sister texts me, "Hey, if you ever need a room, there's a room here in in uh, Dallas. You can come and stay." And I looked at it and I felt the Lord saying, "That's where you're going." And and I argued with them. I'm like, "Lord, I've been there. It's hot. I don't like Dallas. Can't stand it. Don't want to. Don't want to go back." Well, long story short, I get back. Within three months time, I meet, which is my wife now. I met her three months into 2011. Three months later, we're married. And then ministry starts strong. I'm in this huge church, anointed uh, pastor, just this whole ministry that's all about breaking curses, exactly where I needed to be. Right. And so that's where Set Free started. We started as a as a twelve step program. Um, it was overcomers, but then overcomers took it took us out because we weren't certified through them. So we had to come up with something. So I had my team of you know prayer warriors, my armor bearers, all of that good stuff. I mean, we were hitting the streets, man. We we're feeding hot dogs. We're we're in the streets where they're shooting up heroin. They're just it's the streets of Dallas, Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of my buddies, which is my best friend, said, "Hey." Why don't we call it set free? And it took about two or three days for me to let it resonate. Right. Because I wanted a name that wasn't churchy. Right. I wanted something that was going to pull and draw some people in. And so it just started resonating with me, set free, set free, set Mm -hmm. free. I'm like, you know what? I think we're going to go with that. Cool. So we started finding out that a lot of the women that were coming, they weren't addicted. They weren't alcoholics. They had never shot a needle in their arm, but they were widows. Husband commits suicide, spirit of suicide, abandonment, rejection, all of that. And so when all that starts coming forth, I said, this is why God wanted me to confront me. This is why God wanted me to confront my past. And so we took the 12-step program and then pretty much made it people-friendly. Because there was a lot of people that were like, I want to come to your class, but I'm not addicted. Right. And I'm like, well, it, it just come. Right. I can't explain what it is. <laughs> All I know is come. And so we're walking these patterns out with people. And this this ministry just started to grow. And then all of a sudden I I got arrogant again because my business was flourishing. Ministry was popping. It was kind of like I made it like this is this is this is who I am. And this is where God laid me on my butt and said, who are you? Because if you are your brand. Right. Oh, I didn't. You'll never be. (laughs) 
Right. I, I just noticed <laughs> so that when you pointed at it. <laughs> and I'm like, so this statement came to mind that I had learned years prior. Mm-hmm. And this is what I've used for years. And it's so powerful. If you are what you have and you lose it, then who are you? Well, your All identity my life. becomes in the item or the, the job or whatever, not the, your identity is not in Christ. Amen. Yeah. And so all my life, it was status, money, cars, women, all of that. So in Christianity, it was ministry. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I got the rocking ministry. I got the rocking crew. It, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Only what we call ministry. Right. And so I'm sitting there going, why is all this happening? And that's when the Lord said, because you are focused on the ministry, but you're not focused on who you are in, in, in me. Right. And until you understand who I am, I want you to understand my mercy. I want you to understand my grace. I want you to understand that part of it because you've gone through the fire, but you've forgotten the fire. And so all these different levels, all these different layers of building relationship with God, it never stops. Right. You don't just get to a point where you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. Mm-hmm. It's that it's those layers that continue to get peeled back. And so long story short, the ministry died. Everybody from 50 to 60 people showing up to a life group every, every Monday night down to nothing. Oh, wow. I mean, absolutely nothing. And so that's where my journey began right about 2014 to about 2019, okay. where I gave everything up. I didn't go back to my business. I lost my business. I lost ministry. I lost all of that. But it was me and God once again. And I literally stopped going to church. I was still rocking ministry, doing it online, Facebook, all of that, doing my little promotional videos and stuff, having fun. But I said, I'm I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not worried about a building. Like that's not for me. That's not the, the last, like, like that's not the major thing. It's, 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 it's what we do after the building. It's what we do after the altar call. And so that's where God gave me the expression, what's your after? And so when I tell people, all right, so what's your after? Well, what is that? What's your after? What, what are you doing after the altar call? What are you doing after you started your business? What are you doing after you had the encounter with Christ? What's your after? Where are you at now? And so that just started to build and started to, to grow in me to where now I was doing ministry on my own. It was me and my wife, a couple other people. And then it just became this online ministry to where everything was just online. And so it was this place where I, I believe even to this day, because we started a church in 2019, Mm -hmm. we went into a building 2020, a building didn't work for us. Right now, again, I'm not saying that buildings aren't good. No buildings are essential for the people that need the building. You follow what I'm saying? But I also believe that if we're, if I'm stuck in a building 24 seven, but I'm not doing anything outside of that building and there's a problem, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm just called in a different way. And I've had a lot of flack from pastor friends of mine. I'm ordained. I'm all of that. And they're like, but you can't do what you're doing the way you're doing. I'm like, okay, show me (laughs) in the word of God the exact template of how to do church. Right. And if you could show me that by all means, I will follow suit. Yeah. Well, one and of the it's things just, with, the, with the pandemic and for the last year and a half, um, 
We have to be outside of the building. You know, I think that's what God really wanted us. Getting back to the roots, getting back to the people, you know, instead of, you know, the people coming to us, we need to go to the people, you know, because there's people that you're going to reach that might never darken the door of a church ever. Come on. You know, and you have to go out there and, and show them, you know, you have to be the Christ that they've never, never seen. And now all of a sudden you are an example and they would never have gone to a church and they might never have got saved if it wasn't for you. So, I mean, that's right. what I think today, that's what we have to, a lot of churches and the churches that went back to normal, like, oh, we're back to the buildings again and stuff like that. I think they forgot the point that was really what God was showing. So they say, <laughs> you, you guys need to go to the streets and you need to yeah. evangelize. You need to, I mean, I don't call myself an evangelist, but I, be, I'm also, I'm an amplifier. I tell people stories and, and mm. you're the, you're the, um, you know, the people that go out there, the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles. And um, I, I share the word through you to them. So, and, um, and you know, just try constantly encouraging people. So, so you have, yeah. um, is there more of your story you want to talk about or you want to just kind of wrap it up from there for now? Yeah, we can wrap it up. Um, okay. You what know- I'm going to do is I want you, I'm going to get ready to do another camera shot. I'm going to go to you. Um, just give you a few seconds to put some thoughts together. I want you to talk to some of the audience member members that are listening or watching on YouTube um, that might have gone through the situation where there's kind of like churchy and not churchy in the world and back and forth and back and forth. And maybe they're having that struggle that you had, um, but you've came to, you come to the other side, you know, like the train tracks to the tunnel. You've gone from one point to another point. So talk to them. Um, and then after you do that, actually, before you do that, actually talk to people, tell them how they can find you, what you're doing now, um, different websites, different podcasting, stuff like that. So I'm going to go to you and then you can, you can continue from, from there. All right. So everyone can find me at my website, setfreelife.net. Um, it's got all of my icons for my social media. You can follow me on Facebook at um, facebook.com forward slash coach Paul Ibarra. The same with Instagram. It's coach dot Paul Ibarra. And uh, I do a, a, a live stream every morning, 6.30 a.m. Central Time on Facebook on Wake Up in the Word like page. Uh, we dive right into the Bible. Uh, we speak straight from the Word, and we do it for a half hour every single every single weekday. And so that's where you can find me. Um, and you can also find me on my um, podcast platform. You can go to link Linktree uh, forward slash Coach Paul Ibarra. And that's where you can find all of my stuff, everything about Coach's Corner. And that's where you can find me. Why don't we um, end up with a little prayer and then we'll close the show from there. Awesome. Father, we just thank you today. God, we thank you for what you have done in this place. Father, we thank you that you are in control. Father, we thank you that we are able to submit to a powerful God, a real God. And so, Father, I just ask that you would bless every word that has come forth. I pray that you would bless those that are listening. I. I pray that whoever's watching, if it's that one person, that they understand the power of Jesus Christ in their life. And so, Father, we just we thank you for today. I thank you for Kevin. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his ministry. And I ask that you would bless this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, you've been listening to the Millennium Beat. I've been with Coach Paul. Coach Paul, thank you very much for joining us here today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. We'll have to do this a little bit more a few times, and we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in your life. So everybody else, we'll catch you next week. Same time, same channel. 
Thanks for tuning in today to the Millennium Beats podcast, encouraging the world one story at a time. I hope you heard something that was encouraging to you. We'd like to hear from you with your stories, so send them to stories at themillenniumbeat.com or give us a call at 407-624-9957. You may find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Please like and follow us and share us with your friends. You may also go to our website at www themillenniumbeat.com where you'll find our last 25 podcasts our list of our different platforms you may listen to or download our podcast our latest YouTube videos for all our shows on the Millennium Beat Network a calendar with past and future guests for all the Millennium Beat Network shows also there's pages with pictures of all our guests and hosts you have any questions or comments please contact us at info at themillenniumbeat.com This has been a Millennium Beat production, copyright 2021. The guests' views and opinions may not always be the views and opinions of the Millennium Beat LLC.